Alrighty, welcome to the last two episodes of this semester for criminal law. Uh, we are starting off our discussion today with uh, conspiracy and specifically finishing up our discussion on conspiracy. And uh, we're going to focus on the two types of conspiracy and then also defenses that people can make specific to conspiracy charges. So what are the two types of conspiracies? Well, there's bilateral or there's unilateral. And what this just means is a bilateral conspiracy requires that two or more parties are necessary to have a conspiracy. And this is outlined in People v. Foster. And all this is really just saying, this is a common law approach saying, you cannot conspire without a second person to conspire with. The unilateral approach, on the other hand, says that one person alone could create a conspiracy. And what kind of situations are going to come up where you may consider whether or not a person has committed a conspiracy underneath this bilateral or unilateral theory? Well, the situation is, for example, say someone approaches you to commit a crime, and you agree to commit that crime not intending to commit that crime. You're agreeing just to learn more about that crime and then you learn more about that crime and you turn over the person into the officials. Well, technically, you didn't conspire because you didn't have that intent to commit the crime and thus, you aren't a co-conspirator. Now, this is really comes into the question of is the person who you turn into the police a conspirator? And underneath the unilateral theory, yes, they are because they have that intent to conspire and they have the intent to commit a crime. Underneath the bilateral theory, they are not a co-conspirator because it requires both people in order to actually find a conviction. And in replacement of a conspiracy charge, you would charge attempt to conspire instead. So let's go ahead and move into defenses to conspiracy. Uh, we have in Inarelli, I believe that's how you say it, versus the United States, we learned what Wharton's rule is. And what that simply says is that a person cannot be convicted of, con- of a conspiracy if the statute or the crime that they are committing specifically requires two people to, mit- to commit the crime. And so, for example... Uh, people who are dueling, that's uh, a two-person kind of thing. One person's pointing a gun, the other person's pointing a gun. It requires two people, no more than two people, no less than two people. Uh, same thing with adultery or big, bigamy. All these things are saying is you can't convict them with conspiracy for committing a crime because they committed a crime even though it may appear as if they are conspiring. The exception to Wharton's rule is that if more than two people are involved, then you can charge them with a separate crime of conspiracy in addition to the substantive crime. Uh, We have a couple of other defenses. a person who is a victim of a crime cannot be a co-conspirator of that crime. That's in Gerberati uh, versus the United States. And then in People v. Scone, Scones, we learn that people can withdraw 
from a crime. And so there's a difference between a true withdrawal and a partial withdrawal. A true withdrawal is rejection of the conspiracy that was communicated and it needs to be communicated to co-conspirators. And this is a full defense only if no overt act has occurred. But if something has occurred, like you go out and gather weapons to commit a robbery, and then later you withdraw, well, an overt act has occurred, and so you can be guilty for the conspiracy, but not for any other substantive things that occur. So, in other words, you're guilty of the conspiracy, but not Pinkerton liability for future substantive crimes. The benefit of withdrawal, or of allowing withdrawal, is that we want to prevent people from committing a crimes, and that means that the deterrence of the utilitarian theory worked. And so we want to encourage withdrawal even after an overt act has actually occurred. Under the MPC, this is called renunciation, and it allows withdrawal to be a complete and total defense only if the defendant also thwarts the success of the conspiracy. So, say you're going out to rob, uh, you gather all the guns, you say, I don't want to be a part of this anymore on the way there, and instead of just getting out of the car and letting them go on their way, you also have to call the police or do something to stop the action from actually going through. And so that is everything with conspiracy. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.